if you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. This happened many years ago, but it was such a terrifying moment for me that I still remember it vividly. Back when I was about 13 or 14, my family, which consisted of my parents, me, my little sister, and our dog, had to live in a hotel for about a month while our home was being repaired due to flooding. Being a teenage girl at the time, spending most of my time in the same room as my parents was not my idea of fun. Thankfully, I was able to bring some of my stuff to keep me entertained, and there was also a pool so I could go swimming whenever I wanted to. However, it was also a prime opportunity to stay over with friends because they rarely told me no. I wish I would have stayed with someone on this particular day, though, that way I could have just avoided this whole situation. It was a Saturday, and while my dad still worked, my mom was home with me and my sister until she needed to run errands. I wasn't interested at the time, with having to go to a bunch of places, as I knew I would probably just get stuck with watching my sister, so I asked if I could stay at the hotel. After a few pleas, she reluctantly agreed telling me not to answer the door for anyone as she would have the key. Dad left his in the room in case we needed it, since Mom was always back before he got home. She did say that I could go to the pool since I'd been down there to swim by myself before. So, after the list of do's and don'ts, she finally left. I probably stayed in the room for about an hour or so, playing my DS and watching TV, until I started getting bored. Since I could only use the hotel phone for emergencies, my mom had her cell phone and the hotel charged for phone calls, my next plan was to go swimming for a bit. I changed into my swimsuit and put my cover up on, and then left the room with nothing but a towel and the room key. Thankfully, there weren't many people there. There was a woman with her baby and a kid maybe a few years younger than me playing, then a group of, like, four old people in the hot tub just talking. Lastly, there was a guy sitting close to the back door working on some kind of puzzle book. I had wrapped my room key in my towel and set it on one of the chairs off to the side, hoping that no one would bother it. I'd seen multiple people grab towels from anywhere nearby the towel cart that they kept in there, so I always worried that they would take mine by mistake, and then I would lose the room key. I got in the pool by taking the stairs, which was where the mom and the kid were hanging out, and then slowly walked over to the deeper side. I liked going over there and either just floating around or swimming back and forth to each side. However, the deeper I went, the closer I got to the guy with the puzzle book. And that's how I noticed that he was staring at me. When I would come up for air or just glance over, he was always looking at me and would just smile. 
After the first time, though, I stopped smiling back. I may have been shy, but something about his smile was unsettling. I tried my best to just have fun, but that feeling in my stomach was not going away. I think the mom in the pool even noticed, as I would look around at anything I could, just to stop myself from looking at him. And I noticed how she kept looking past her baby at him. That feeling would then intensify when I noticed the guy stand up and start walking towards the pool. And of all the places to get into the pool, the stairs or the ladder on the deepest side, he chose to stop and sit on the edge of the pool with his feet dangling in it, right where I was. After he sat down, the only thing he said was, Hey, young lady, mind if I jump in? The words may have been innocent, but it was something about his inflection and the way that he said it that nearly gave me a panic attack. I was at a loss of words, or even action to take, so I just looked away and swam to the other side of the pool and then jumped over the edge to get out. My chair was close to the door, so I quickly grabbed it all, and without even trying to dry off or put on my cover, I swung the door open and rushed out of there. I know that I may have already seemed like someone who was in a hurry or something, but I thought I would just fast walk to the elevator to get there quicker, but also not look like I was running away, I guess. I was 14, I didn't know what to do. However, that feeling in my gut intensified more when I heard the pool door open, and out walks this same guy. You just went to get into the pool. Why would you be leaving it and your stuff behind? Tell me that that doesn't scream that he was trying to follow someone. So I picked up the pace and ran to the elevator, jamming the button until it finally opened but the sky was still pretty close behind me, and now waving and yelling at me to hold the elevator. Like hell, I was going to do that. So, I started jamming the button to close the door faster. I figured if I could get in the elevator alone, it would be safer than taking the stairs that were enclosed and someone not being able to see or possibly hear me if something did happen. I didn't factor in the odds of him being capable of catching up to me, stopping the elevator, and being enclosed in the metal box with me, which was exactly what happened. My heart was pounding. I stood as close as I could to the door, but with my back against the wall. That way he wasn't behind me and was within my vision. That's when he started going on about how rude it was for me to not hold the door for someone, especially when they ask you to. He just seemed incredibly angry for something so simple, and also towards a child. It startled me even more. I didn't know what else to do, but I clutched my stuff closer to my chest and remained quiet. When he realized he wasn't getting a response from me, he started asking about what room I was in, and if I was alone, or if my parents knew where I was. This was already causing anxiety to pile up, but... Then I realized he never pushed a button on the elevator. I did. So now, I was worried that he at least knew what floor I was on. As soon as it stopped and the doors were just open enough to fit myself through, I took off. 
I was terrified of the thought of him once again catching up to me, and what if he did as I was entering the room? My mom probably wasn't back yet, so I would be alone. So, trying to think fast, I ran as far as I could to the end of the hall and started banging on a random door, hoping for the best. I remember shouting, Dad, I forgot my key, open the door! While looking back, I noticed the guy was still coming towards me, but at a slower pace. What I wasn't expecting was an actual older man in his boxers and a shirt to open the door and look at me confused. I, again, was hesitant about running in this room, so I just looked down and softly said, There's a man following me. I apparently said it loud enough for him to hear, as he walked out of the room, shouting, What kind of grown man is following around little girls? The creep was standing at a room a few doors down and had just looked over at us. The older man started approaching him and confronted him, again asking why he was following me, when the guy said that there was obviously a misunderstanding. He claimed that he was just trying to get to his room, which happened to be on the same floor that I went, and it must have scared me. I guess I was feeling a little brave, so I mentioned him being at the pool and what he had said in the elevator. The old man actually stuck around and told him that he better go to his room. The creep patted down his pockets and wiggled the doorknob and looked back at us and said, Oh, uh, I must have dropped my key, and walked off back towards the elevator. I still highly doubt that that was actually his room, and he was just standing by to see what happened. I felt the old man was pretty close to knocking that guy out. After he was out of sight, the man started asking me if I knew that guy and what happened, and while we were talking, another lady and a kid walked out of their room. I assume it was like a grandparents and grandkids situation. They then walked me to my room, which was actually around the corner, about midway up the hall. When I got there, my mom ended up coming back shortly after. I told her what had happened, and she immediately went to inform the front desk. Unfortunately, the only part that I really know about that was that they told my mom they would check to see who was in that room and get back to her if they found out anything. The thing is, we were there for another week, and daily my mom would ask them and they wouldn't tell her anything. They had a bit of an argument at that point, and whoever was there at the time told my mom that it wouldn't make a difference because they didn't actually do anything to me, and they couldn't kick them out if they already paid. This made my parents angry enough that we left that hotel and went to another one for the rest of our time. So, we never did see that creep again, thankfully. I don't know what his actual intentions were, but I try not to think about that stuff. I just avoid being alone in places like hotels, and where there may not be a lot of people or witnesses around from that moment onward. I just hope that he was never able to terrorize another kid like that again. Hello, fellow Redditors. I found myself lurking and reading posts here from time to time, but it seems that I may finally have an experience of my own to post about. I'm not quite sure what to make of this, but last night, 
my husband and I were in bed trying to go to sleep. As it's quite hot where I live at the moment, I've been having a harder time getting to bed. He usually falls asleep quite quickly, so he didn't hear what I thought it was faint, twinkling music, similar to an ice cream truck. I wasn't too concerned at first, as we live in a noisy area, but as I tried to focus on the sound, my inner ear began to feel in pain, as if there was immense pressure. I kept listening as I was confused as to what was happening. At no point did it get louder. At one point, it went away completely, leading me to believe it was someone just playing music on a hot night. Then, it came back, and my eardrum felt even more inflamed, and I felt the pain growing in my head. I covered my ear, but the pain didn't help much. At this point, I felt quite scared. I watch a lot of horror films, so my imagination tends to get the best of me. I yelped, partly in pain and partly in fear, and I woke my husband up. He groggily asked if everything was okay. I told him my ear hurt, but he went back to sleep almost immediately. I didn't hear the music anymore, but I turned and I covered my afflicted ear with the pillow. My other ear was unaffected. I was able to go to sleep just fine after that with my ear right up against the pillow. So, yeah, it's a quite mundane thing, but still has left me scratching my head. My ear is fine this morning. I have a bit of a headache, but that's it. Has anyone experienced anything similar? Is this just tinnitus and I need to see a doctor? I can't imagine why it would be, but... I'm trying to find a logical explanation for this. While I was living and studying in the capital of my country, I had a small rented basement of a 1917 built house next to a nightclub. I was preparing to go to sleep quite early since I had class at 8am the next day. Right before I fell asleep, I remembered that I forgot to lock the door. But since the city I lived in was generally quite safe, and the only way to get to the entrance of my place was past a front gate, all around to the other side of the house and down some stairs, I didn't think much of it and proceeded to fall asleep. Skip forward to the middle of the night. I wake up and feel someone or something slowly pulling my blanket off of me. In a confused state, I extend my hand and feel a hairy male arm under my fingers. My first thought was, oh, this is probably my drunk flatmate. But then I remembered that he's at his girlfriend's place on the other side of town. In pitch black, I jump from my bed, rush to the light switch, and as I turn it on, I find a stranger. He's around my age, student standing in his underwear by my bed, with his underwear clearly wet from urine. My initial reaction was to stay calm, since I had no idea if this dude was violent or what was even going on in the first place. I calmly asked him, 
Hey, man. What the f are you doing here? He was clearly very confused as well and took a sit on a recliner I had in my tiny room. And there we are, both in our underwear, him covered in urine, and I on the border of peeing myself. And what does he do? He extends his hand and introduces himself to me. At that point, I go, Okay, dude, get out of my house and start escorting him to the hallway, where I find all of his clothes and shoes on the floor. As I'm escorting him out, he goes into the bathroom and locks himself inside. I hear him turn on the shower and proceed to knock on the door, saying, Hey, man, if you don't leave right now, I'm going to call the cops. To which he replies, I'm not afraid of the police. Well, that's just perfect, isn't it? A few minutes pass and he steps out of the bathroom, but naked, with my flatmate's towel around his waist. He looks at me looking kind of content and says, Hey, did you see? They got a shower here. At that point, I'm fuming. Who's got a shower, a-hole? This is my house. You're a total stranger and you broke into my place. Suddenly... An expression of complete fear appears on his face. Oh my god. What have I done? Jesus Christ. He starts exclaiming as he is very awkwardly trying to get dressed in the hallway. Then I manage to get him out of the house. I even called one of his friends from my phone to come pick him up at the club. Turns out, he's from a completely other town, and came to party to the capital... Got kicked out of the club for starting a fight, and somehow managed to get into my place. To this day, I have no idea what he was on, or how the hell he managed to find my apartment, as it is quite hidden from the street. Anyways, I apologize for the long post. I'm not even sure if this is the right place to post this, but I found it extremely creepy. Let's just say that I never forgot to lock the door from that day. P.S. I didn't sleep well for weeks after. No, oh, and I should add that I actually found the dude on Facebook a while later. Turns out, we have a mutual friend. <laughs> Back in December of 2021, I had a lucid dream of me dying. Now, I want to use the term dream lightly because it was too real. The following is a message that I sent to my friend just minutes after I woke up. Some things have been edited to hide personal information. I just had the most terrifying dream and I don't know if I'll be able to sleep again for a while. I was in my bed falling asleep when I started coughing a lot, and eventually started to lose consciousness, and felt like I was falling asleep. But it felt different. My arms and hands hurt, and felt like the muscles in them were being ripped from my skin. After I fell asleep, my soul lifted out of my body 
and I could see and feel myself die. I floated above my corpse until the morning, trying to figure out what had just happened because I had no idea what was going on. Then I saw my mom walk into the room, and she tried to wake me up, but couldn't. She started crying and she held me, and then for the next seven days, I tried waking myself up until my corpse disappeared. I was able to go back in time, experiencing things when I was four, and with my cousins playing video games in my home country. And then, I was able to experience asking my girlfriend out, and dating her. This went back and forth with me trying to figure out if I had really died, or if I was in a dream. Like I said, I was trying to wake my corpse up. I, as a spirit, kept appearing on this small bridge as I looked at my entire life through a vision in the sky. Behind me looked like there was a building, or a church being built, and in front of me there was just light. This place was probably purgatory. After failing to wake up my dead corpse, I was able to call a friend and tell them that I was dead and that I was a spirit. I chose my girlfriend and I told her everything that I had experienced. She told me that I've been dead for four days and she doesn't know what to do. I tell her that I didn't think I was dead because I felt alive as a spirit, but at the same time felt trapped and was sentient and could obviously communicate with her. I had the opportunity to experience things that I used to do with her, like playing Mario Bros, and watching movies, and kissing, but I could only see it through the vision in the sky. I couldn't feel it. I told my girlfriend to tell my friends that there was nothing to worry about, and that I was alive, and hopefully I could get my body back. No one believed her, and they thought she was depressed and going crazy. She talked to my mom about it, and my mom thought that she was on to something. I told my girlfriend to tell my mom only things that I knew, and that's how my mom knew we were communicating. I couldn't talk to my mom at all, but I could just watch my mom and my girlfriend talking through the vision in the sky. After a few more days, I had given up and started telling my girlfriend how I wanted my funeral to be, who I wanted there, and, for some reason most importantly, what I wanted to wear in the casket. I chose a suit similar to the one that my grandpa was buried in. I was on the bridge watching the construction of the building when I see a timer in the sky for five minutes. I somehow fly up with no control and was pulled into the vision. Everything went black. I was small. I was about 12 or 13 again. I spawned in these apartments that my parents and I used to live in when we first came to the town that I live in today. The lights were all off, and then I saw my mom on the living room couch crying, and I walked up to her, and she saw me and hugged me. I was able to feel again, but... I still felt like I wasn't in my own body. My mom explained how she's happy to see me and that she always believed my girlfriend. I explained to her what's going on and how I've been trying to wake myself up from death. I asked her where my corpse is and it didn't look like she wanted to answer, 
but she said it was in my parents' room. I walked over and saw an old pair of jeans and an old t-shirt on the bed. I touched them thinking that I would be underneath them, but I wasn't. My mom came in and told me those were the clothes that I was in when I died. My corpse was actually in the closet. She opened it, and I walked in. I looked to my right and I saw a pair of jeans and shoes propped up on a shelf. I felt them and I was able to feel my legs. I removed and separated the shirts that were hanging in the closet, and I saw my dead body propped up on a shelf like a puppet. My hair was long, I had chubby cheeks, my eyes were slanted. It looked exactly like me when I was about 12. It was a pair of jeans and a blue, red, and white patterned button-up shirt. That part's going to scar me for life. I was just looking at my dead body. My mom walked in and touched my corpse's face, and she told me that she missed me a lot and to come back. And I told her that I was coming back. Then, suddenly, everything turned white. I wake up and I started coughing again, almost choking on my own spit. I was back in my room. My normal room. I wasn't 12. Everything was normal. I sit up from my bed and I burst into tears. I have never experienced anything so real in my life. I've never had a dream that felt like real life even though I was doing things that I couldn't do in the real world. Has anyone else ever had an experience like this? I think the most scarring part of this experience was seeing my dead body multiple times and my loved one's reactions to my death. After listening to your podcast, I realized that I too had experienced a series of strange events that I couldn't quite wrap my head around to explain. This incident occurred when I was still living in my parents' house about eight years ago, in 2015. It actually happened a few times, but one instance seemed the most vivid and realistic of them all. My parents' house, situated in a third-world country within a bustling city, was rather narrow and consisted of two floors. Consequently, we shared a bedroom on the second floor. To provide a clearer picture of the story, allow me to describe the room's layout. The room was nearly square in shape, featuring a sliding door on the eastern wall with foggy glass, enabling you to perceive a person's shadow in the hallway. Upon entering, your gaze would be met by a metal bunk bed. I occupied the top bunk, while my mother claimed the bottom. Adjacent to the bunk bed, my father's bed was positioned at a 90-degree angle. If you were on the top bunk, you could only see the upper section of the sliding door. As for the floor, the lower bunk, as well as my father's bed, they were hidden from view. Given that my father's work frequently required him to travel out of town several times each month, he happened to be away on a work trip that particular night. In contrast, my mother managed a small shop downstairs, so she was usually in close proximity to the house. 
On occasion, she would come up to the bedroom later than I went to sleep. That night, after completing my homework, I turned off all the lights except for a softly glowing bedside lamp. I then ascended to my bunk bed to chat with my Facebook friends before drifting off to sleep. Well, there was a house rule of prohibiting me from bringing my phone to bed. I remained on high alert, ready to hastily conceal it, should my mother enter the room. About an hour later, I discerned the faint sound of my mother's footsteps, followed immediately by the sliding door gliding open and shut. Swiftly, I powered down my phone and slid it beneath my pillow, pretending to sleep. I heard the bed creaking beneath the weight of my mother, accompanied by the rustling of bedsheets. In an attempt to sound drowsy, I inquired, Mom, why are you coming up so late? Her response was a mixture of groaning and shifting on the bed, suggesting that she might be unwell or extremely fatigued. Slightly concerned, I'd sat up to check up on her. However, as I did so, I noticed a faint illumination in the hallway, indicating that the lights on the first floor were still on. Looks like you forgot to turn off the downstairs light, Mom. I quipped, alluding to her usual annoyance when I neglected to turn off lights in my room. Curiously, she didn't reply on this occasion. Exhaling audibly, I descended from the bunk bed to head downstairs and extinguish the light. As I cast a glance towards my mother, I expected to see her wrapped in blankets, ready with an excuse for the oversight. To my absolute astonishment, however, the bottom bunk was empty. Baffled, I began to remove pillows and blankets in disbelief, but she was nowhere to be found. Simultaneously, I heard footsteps downstairs, accompanied by the illumination of another light. Anxious to uncover the truth, I rushed downstairs to be met by my very much present mother. Her voice fatigued as she asked, What's going on? Isn't it your bedtime? Striving to mask my growing panic, I asked, Were you downstairs working all this time? She shrugged and replied, Yeah, I had to finish a commission quickly for a customer tomorrow. Urgently, I then inquired, Are you absolutely certain you weren't just upstairs? Amused, she retorted with, Come on, do you think I have the energy to run up and down at this time? It was around 11.30pm as I glanced over at the clock. With a nod, I watched as she went to use the bathroom on the first floor. Feeling bewildered, I hurriedly returned upstairs. That night, sleep eluded me, and I found myself repeatedly checking the bottom bunk to verify my mother's presence. While the memory eventually faded, it resurfaced sporadically whenever I recounted ghost stories to my friends. However, the inexplicable occurrences did not end there. On several subsequent occasions, I thought I heard my father's footsteps right outside the door with a faded shadow, even when he was away. Sometimes the creaking and rustling of the bedsheets in my mother's usual spot when she wasn't there but no groaning voices unlike that one time. It could be noises in the neighborhood misinterpreted, but 
as any growing child would, I became adept at identifying individual family members' footsteps, and even motorbike engines. I mentioned it to my mom one time, but she just chalked it up to me having a dream or a sleep paralysis episode. The peculiar noises ceased once I moved out in 2018. Hello, long-time lurker on Reddit, specifically for this thread. This isn't my main account due to privacy issues. I'll be posting this on this secondary one. I forgot about this instance until recently, and it may not be the creepiest or most suspenseful events to happen, but it definitely sparked concern at the time. Also, sorry if my writing isn't the best, as I am on mobile. This happened almost 15 years ago, when I was 7. My best friend's mom would babysit my brother and I before and after school. My mom would usually drop us off at her house around 6am. She would make us breakfast and the three of us would walk to our elementary, that was less than 10 minutes away. For preface, we would walk through an adjacent neighborhood, through the small wooded area that had an enclosed bridge, and that led us to the back of our elementary school. The elementary sits back in a long tree line that runs about half a mile north and another mile south. Anyways, we're about to get to the turn where we walk into the tree line to the bridge, and this guy comes cruising down the street. At first, I don't even think we noticed him considering how young we were, but right when he's about 10 feet away from us, he slows down to virtually zero mph. There was nothing that stood out about his appearance either. He was middle-aged, white male, very generic. Well, we all stare at the car and start walking super slowly. If we stop, he would stop. If we walked, he would slowly go. During this whole ordeal, he has a blank expression on his face. Not anger, no smirk, just this sinister deadness, almost. This went on for probably five minutes, because we were too scared that he would jump out of the car if we turned our backs on him, and I was mainly scared for my little brother. Finally, he speeds off, and we run the rest of the way to school. Immediately, we go to the principal's office, and at this point, we are bawling. We gave them our version of the story, his description, and whatever else a seven-year-old is actually capable of giving. They take action by calling the cops and our parents. The cops come and we explain where it happened and the story again. Then our parents ended up taking us out of school. From then on, we weren't allowed to walk to school anymore and our babysitter would just take us. The reason this ended up being so creepy is because, apparently, there had been reports around that time of a guy who would sit under the bridge we walked over, right by the school, and watch people. They didn't know if he was homeless or if it was this other guy who we encountered. They never caught the guy, and we never saw him again. Whether this was a more sinister encounter than we thought... Or he was just bored? Well, 
we will never know. I do know how bizarre it was, though. Who stares at children that intently while driving by? He even turned his head around as he was driving. By his chance of luck, no other cars drove by during this whole situation. But weirdo driver, let's not ever meet again. I grew up in a house built around the 1830s in a small town in western-slash-upstate New York. I always had a kind of sense of spirits, but I was young and had a vivid imagination. I would get the feeling that there was something else there, but nothing really concrete to that end. I understand the concept of sleep paralysis, and I've never ruled that out. This happened when I was maybe 12 or 13, and I'm 51 now, and I still think about it. My sister is older than me, and being a teenager, she was out with friends. My parents rarely went out, but this night they did, and I was home alone. I was used to my mom or even my sister walking by my cracked open door to check in on me, or to head to the bathroom. I was fast asleep, and I remember someone standing by my door. I woke up slightly, but just assumed it was my mom or sister, and then I fell back asleep. Moments after that, I vividly remember a black mass coming in through the door, and then hovering over me. I felt pinned down, and I couldn't move. Again, I am aware of sleep paralysis. It was so black and amorphous that I could not see through it. Then, it started talking to me, in multiple voices, and in languages that I couldn't understand. I freaked the hell out, and I forced myself to get up. I felt like I had to fight it. It was scary as hell, and I did not like it at all. When I finally got free, I turned all the lights on in my house and grabbed my dog and sat outside for a few hours until someone came home. Of course, my parents reassured me that it was just a bad dream. But here's the catch. My brother-in-law and sister have lived there for years, and they both felt like there was always something off about that room. I generally always felt solace in my room and I loved to read and listen to music and practice my guitar or trumpet. It didn't really change after that, but again, I still think about that to this day. I felt like I've been connected to something else, but I was always too scared to even let anything in. It might be too late, but I would like to see if I have any ability toward that end. Maybe it's all BS... I've had other experiences since then, but I generally push it away and think to myself, you're not welcome, please leave my space. This event occurred in August of 2008 in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was relocating to the area and starting a new job there. 
The company set me up in a local hotel room for the first week, until I could move into a permanent apartment that I had already signed a lease for. I had settled into my room for the night, and was asleep for several hours. During the night, I woke up feeling thirsty, so I sat up in bed and grabbed my bottled water from the nightstand to take a drink. I was sitting straight up in the bed in the dark, and placed the water bottle back on the nightstand, when suddenly I heard a buzzing sound in the room. I realized it was getting louder and coming right at my head. Before I could react, something buzzed right around my head, and then continued flying away from me. I was completely shocked. I thought it was some kind of bug, so I turned on the light but didn't see anything at all. I walked around the whole room looking for anything that would explain what I had just experienced. It kind of sounded like a big flying bug, but at the same time it also sounded like an electronic remote control device. But since it was dark, I never saw anything. I just heard it buzz around my head and then it was gone. After a while, I couldn't find anything and I knew that I had to get my sleep to start the new job in the morning. I stayed in the hotel room for the remainder of the week, but did not experience anything else. Looking back on it now, I think that I must have suppressed this memory for years, because I couldn't explain it, and I was too focused on the new job and moving to a new location. To this day, I have no idea what that thing was, but it seriously freaked me the hell out. What makes a town idyllic? At what point does a town cross the line from being dark to becoming dreamy? The truth is, it's a lot more nuanced than simply good or bad. Sometimes the most picturesque of towns can hold secrets that potentially outweigh all the perfect things, if you only knew about them. Longtime viewers of Raven's channel may remember the story I submitted about Greg, the stain of Hollywood. If not, that's alright. I'll recap the events of that summer. Greg was well known in Hollywood. A nice guy, a great rugby player, generally an all-around decent person who you'd want to meet. Turns out, he was also an active predator and stalker in the background. My friend Matt nearly fell victim to his vile grasp, barely able to escape. After finding this out, we severed all connections between us, our friends, and him. The stories spread across the town's youth rapidly, though the names were lost somewhere in the wildfire. A month or so after our last sighting of Greg, we realized something. While we hadn't seen him in a month, he definitely had seen us. The deeply disturbing discovery of him stalking us, or more accurately, Matt, was a gut-wrenching feeling that I will never forget. This all happened around early to mid-2020. Raven read this story on his channel a year later, in 2021. Unfortunately, I wrote it only a few months before some pretty major events. Greg had been arrested for the possession of drugs. 
I'm unsure what it was, but I've heard it was something heavy. He got beaten up later on by some people in this year. He changed everything about himself. His hair, his legal name, his school, his house, his friends, and even his gender identity. While I've been using the pronoun of he, him up until now, I'll be using the preferred pronouns of they, them. While Greg might be a vile abortion of a human, misgendering them is an insult to perfectly normal, non-binary people. This radical change in identity was likely due to the fact that their own cousin discovered my post about them on Reddit. He told his family, who I can only imagine disowned them. Over the past three years, Greg, or Axel, as they are now called, was largely unseen by the people of Holywood. Whether they moved away or just remained in the shadows of Holywood is unclear. However, every few months, I'd be told by one of my friends that they saw them. They became a druggie, always hanging out in dark places and doing hard drugs. Every time I was told of a Greg sighting, we still call them Greg so that everyone is on the same page during discussions about them, I would be told of how they currently looked. It seemed like they were constantly changing their hairstyle, and sense of style. Whether this constant identity change was a result of Matt and I, or their drug problem, is unknown. This was pretty much the story up until recently, an open-ended cautionary tale about who you decide to trust. But, in the past month, some awful stuff has gone down, which I will tell you now. This summer, in Hollywood, and many surrounding towns has been nicknamed the Stoner Summer. This is, in case the name is unclear, referring to the fact that almost everyone who hadn't tried weed before summer now had. While I personally had used it recreationally a few times, I was also sucked into it and smoked the divine grass a few too many times. And of course, with weed to smoke comes a place to be. With the blatant illegality of grass, it's no surprise that you need to smoke it somewhere away from people. A very common place was, unfortunately, Glen Lyon. This forest was the breeding ground for Greg to enact upon their despicable desires. It wasn't rare to take a few steps into the forest and smell grass. In fact, I bumped into several people who barely even bothered to find a secluded place. In retrospect, if I found them near where I wanted to smoke, my spots likely weren't any more hidden. My friend, who I'll call Ryan, was already up in Glen Lyon. My other friend Patrick was in Glen Lyon walking his dogs. While I may be friends with both, the two of them are not very close. They come from two very different lifestyles, and can never really see eye to eye on anything. Despite this, there was no bad blood between them. They just never really saw each other as friends. They accidentally bumped into each other that day. With Ryan's state of mind, he decided to walk with Patrick and the dogs around the forest for a bit. It was quite late, and nobody else was in the forest. At least, they thought that. 
a good bit into the woods, they noticed someone with their hood up walking towards them. With the stranger's build and distinctly red-colored hair, both Patrick and Ryan instantly knew that it was Greg. They stopped dead in their tracks, which is likely what caused Greg to stop and look at them. I'm sure that Greg knew that Patrick and I were friends, and I wouldn't be surprised if they knew I was friends with Ryan. Despite the darkness, I was told by both of them that they saw Greg's face, revealing pretty grim teeth, all yellow and some even decaying. What Greg did next still haunts me. They grabbed their knife, which apparently they carry around everywhere and held it up as if they were going to throw it. Of course, my friends ran backwards. When Patrick looked back, he saw that Greg was still holding the knife prepared to throw. Patrick flinched as Greg appeared to throw it. A moment later, Patrick looked back to realize they didn't throw it. Ryan looks back and Greg does it again. Greg was pretending to throw this knife at them, likely to scare them. Whatever drugs they were on, they clearly messed them up even worse than they were before. Patrick and Ryan still ran. When I was told of this story, I didn't believe it. A ghost from our past coming back to haunt us? Ryan has a history of making up fake stories, so I thought he was making it all up to scare me. A dick move, sure, but not something unheard of when it comes to this guy. Yet, he persisted on it being true. So, of course, I phoned Patrick who backed up the story almost word for word. I was disturbed, but I'm not 13 anymore and Matt's not 11. If Greg's back for whatever reason, they're no longer a threat to us. But they are a threat to the younger children of Hollywood. Rowan, a key figure in the original incident, even told me that they sometimes hang out with an 8-year-old boy, and nobody questions it. That's the thing with small, perfect towns, like Hollywood. Bad things are so unheard of that even when the evidence is right there in front of people's noses, nobody bats an eye. With what I had been told, I decided to keep a weary eye out for Greg. A few nights later, I was walking down to my local Tesco's when I saw them. They didn't see me, so I kept my head down and walked into the shop. I prayed that I hadn't been seen. I picked up what I had wanted to buy, bought it, and then left. As I walked down the street, looking around to see if Greg was there, I saw them. They were standing on the pavement that I was walking on, staring straight at me. My heart skipped a beat when I saw them. I turned around and started walking backwards, deciding to go a slightly longer way rather than walk past them. I kept telling myself not to look behind me, but there got to a point where I couldn't control it. I glanced backwards, only to see that they were following me. I broke into a sprint, something I could hardly do considering the amount of weed I had smoked over that week. I could hear them running behind me. Now, I'm a fast runner. I could easily outrun them back to my house. The only issue was that the route I had taken would force me to go either through a normal road or a dingy, slippery river path called Twizzle Bridge. 
in the dark after a rainstorm, Twizzle Bridge is a death wish. The stone steps are mossy, and one misstep will lead you crashing into the river below. Obviously then, I would pick the normal road. As I got to the corner that would bring me onto that road, my stomach sank. There was heavy maintenance going on, completely blocking every way to get across. There likely was a single pathway as there normally is, but I didn't see it. It was dark and my mind was preoccupied. Even if the road was inaccessible, Twizzle Bridge was not a viable option. As I ran, I began to formulate a plan. I would hide somewhere until Greg ran past, before sneaking back through Twizzle Bridge. I ran for what felt like miles, yet I knew it was hardly 500 meters. There truly was nowhere to hide. I saw the entrance to a park called Ballymenic. I went there a lot when I was younger, so I knew the paths off by heart. If I was going to hide somewhere, then this would be it. I looked behind me, and I saw that I had at least 50 meters on them. I ran into the park and started running through the trees. I cut my arms at least 50 times, and bumped into at least 20 trees, but despite the pain, I continued running until I was certain that I was clear of them. I heard Greg run into the wooded area that I was in, slowing down. They were looking for me. I crouched down behind a large tree. I relied on the sound of Greg's footsteps to know where they were. And then, they talked. Ollie, stop hiding. They kept walking around. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to talk about what happened. I'm really sorry. I messed up. I just need you to forgive me. There was a remarkable sincerity in his voice, which was overshadowed by the fact that he had threatened my mates with a knife and was chasing me around Hollywood. Once I determined they were walking the wrong way, I slowly crept the other way until I saw the path again. I got onto the path and quietly walked towards the entrance. I looked back to make sure that Greg wasn't nearby and then started running again. I got to Twizzle Bridge where I turned my flashlight on and carefully walked down the steps. Once I was out of Twizzle Bridge, I instantly called the police. I had no evidence, which back in 2020 was the reason we hadn't phoned them yet. Yet I knew that with everyone who had experienced the events as they had unfolded, maybe the police could at least try to do something. An officer came to me, while the rest went to Ballymenic to look for Greg. I told the officer everything from the start until now. I explained every detail with the exception of what Ryan was doing out in Glen Lyon that late at night. The next day, Matt, Patrick, Ryan, Rowan, and I were all brought to the police station just out of Hollywood to ask us questions about what had happened. With all of our stories matching, I think they believed us. I was told that they didn't find them in Ballymenic the night before, but they would be looking for them. It's been a month and I've heard nothing of it, though I nor any of my friends have seen them since. Unfortunately, that's the end of the story. I doubt that I'll ever see Greg again, which is a good thing, but the story isn't just about Greg. 
It's about people like them who hide in the shadowy cracks of small idyllic towns, lurking around. Greg was around my age now when they first revealed their true nature. Now that I'm as old as they were, it sickens me even more to think about what must have been going on inside their head. Greg is mentally unstable, which was likely worsened by their drug issues. Deep inside is probably still the same kid, who always treated people with respect, played rugby with his mates, knew almost everyone in town, but that kid is dead. Because whatever Greg is now is completely different to that kid. And so, as I finish writing this, I want to ask you all something. How well do you know your town? People have secrets, and small towns like mine are the perfect places to keep those secrets, to either spread rapidly, or fade away into obscurity as those responsible for heinous acts carry on living life, with no chance of ever being finally and satisfyingly reprehended. This is the craziest thing to ever happen to me, and I live in Baltimore. Just to explain, I say the Baltimore joke because I've seen murders, bodies, kidnapped at gunpoint as a teen, and more. But this messed with my head more than all that. This happened to me and my friend when I was about 17 or 18, and is the only paranormal thing that has ever happened to me. I've been thinking about this experience more and more, and I don't know why. It's so crazy that it's unbelievable, and I wouldn't blame you for touting it, but people who know me know that I don't lie about stuff. Might be a little bit of a read, but... Maybe you'll find it interesting. So, here goes. So, living in Baltimore, there is a place called Lock Raven Reservoir, and it's out in the sticks. It's quick to get to, though. Baltimore is weird like that. Ten minutes one way, woods, ten minutes the next way, the ghetto. So, we would drive out to Lock Raven and smoke while driving the empty country road. While on those roads is a turnoff to a park. It's been a while, but I'm kind of sure that it's Cromwell Park. And it's not the kind of park you think. It's more just woods with trails. And you can only get there by driving. Roads way too small and dangerous to walk. Well, me and my friend went there one night to smoke. It was about 1am and we were parked in the parking lot which again is just a few spots for cars made from gravel. In front, behind, and to the right are trees leading to nothing but more woods. To the left, I'm driving, is a field. The field goes a little more than the football field, I would say, and a football field wide until, you guessed it, more trees. Yes, very good. So... We have a CD case that I'm breaking the stuff up on while my friend prepares the blunt. It's pretty dark out, except for some moon and starlight shining, and I just look to my left, and on the edge of the field where the trees start, I see what appears to be someone with the flashlight. It's 
far away, so I'm not worried about it. And I just say something to my friend, like, what the hell is someone doing in the woods all the way out here at this time? I continue breaking it up, and when I'm done, I pass it over to my friend. He dumps it and rolls it, and we lay the CD on the dash. While I'm waiting, I look to my left again, and now the light's up in a tree. Not real high, just a few feet. So I comment again. Why is someone climbing trees at this time in the middle of nowhere? He's just like, hell if I know. And then we start to hear some pops going off. Now, I'm like, okay, he's lighting fireworks off. That's weird. The pops keep happening more and more. I had no idea that all hell was about to break loose. I'm looking over there, and the flashlight turns off and the pops keep going. For some reason, I had a thought, and when I thought it, my stomach got that scared feeling. And I said out loud to my friend, getting the goosebumps thinking about this, why can't we see the fireworks going off? At that exact moment, the explosions got super loud, and traveled across the field toward us. Like a string of explosions coming at us, It made it across the field in probably three to four seconds. The car was engulfed in explosions. I could feel them in my guts like fireworks. The CD case vibrates off the dash, and they're just going off like crazy. My friend, who's been through some stuff in his life, his mom stabbed his dad in his sleep while he was in the next room as a 13-year-old, so he's not easy to scare. But he's in tears, freaking out, begging me to leave, just absolutely pleading. I'm saying no, I want to know what the hell is happening. I turned my car back on because I felt bad for this kid in tears, and I was going to leave, but it all stopped as soon as the car turned on. I remember him saying that it sounded like a stampede of horses going around the car, The area had fights from the Revolutionary War and Redcoats and Bluecoats in that area, and it was known for being sympathetic to the Redcoats, and battles being fought in the area. I can't say that's what it was, or ghosts, or what, just saying that's what came to mind. I emailed the park ten or so years later, and I asked if anyone has ever said anything about anything paranormal to them before. They said no. Not one thing, ever. To this day, I'm left perplexed at what the hell happened that night. It's mind-blowing. I thought only movies had this kind of stuff, but since then, I am way more open-minded. I still believe a lot of people lie, or are just crazy. I hear stories on here where I think, bro, come on, you're full of it or need help, but this is what happened to me. Believe it or not, I don't care, but it's the only thing to ever happen to me, and I felt the urge to tell someone. So, thanks for reading, if you did. I was 22, and living on my own for the first time when this happened. It was the mid-90s. I had just gotten off work around 11pm 
to reach my apartment building, I could either walk on the sidewalk, lit with street lamps, decently trafficked, or cut across this communal garden, pitch black and set back from the street. I saved about one whole minute of walking time by cutting through the communal garden, but being young and stupid, a lot of the times I took the shortcut. That night, I got that weird feeling to not take the shortcut. I kept to the sidewalk, but there was no one else around. When I got past the garden, all of a sudden this large man pops up from its exit path. There is no way he could have been in front of me or just behind me as I was walking. I would have noticed him. The only logical explanation was that he'd been hiding in the pitch black garden. A drunk who'd been sleeping it off, maybe? No. My body was screaming at me to get the hell out of there. I began walking faster. My dad had taught me to always carry my keys in my fist, with a key pointed out in case I needed to punch someone, so I had that. But I'm five foot four, and probably weighed 110 pounds. This guy was tall and big. My only chance was to outpace him. I'm speedwalking at this point, and I feel him matching my pace, getting closer. He's breathing heavily, and I feel this angry energy coming off of him, but my apartment building is right there. So, I put on a burst of speed. When I reached the entrance, two people are leaving and hold the door open for me and him. I don't know why I didn't tell them that I thought this guy was following me. My mind froze, and I was just trying to get inside my apartment, plus I was still trying to rationalize it. Maybe he was visiting someone in the building. Maybe it was all just a coincidence. Don't be paranoid. Besides, it only took a couple of seconds for them to be out the door. I had missed my chance. I'm climbing the stairs as fast as I can. It's a three-story building, and I live on the third floor. He's climbing the stairs, too. It's still right behind me. I get to my floor, which has four apartments on the right side, where I live, and four on the left. I pass by apartments one and two. He's still right behind me. I stop at apartment three, where I live, and he stops in front of apartment four, where I know that he does not live. He hasn't said anything. He's just breathing hard, and I think there's no way that I'm going to open my apartment door and have him push me inside and assault me, or worse. He also hasn't knocked on the door of apartment four. It's worth noting that the apartments are U-shaped, with mine and my neighbor's door being very close together. So... I bang on my own apartment door as loud as I can, but I yell my neighbor's name. Hey, Kevin, let me in. This startles the guy. Even more so when my own apartment door doesn't open, but Kevin's does. Kevin sees the guy standing right in front of his door and asks what he wants. The guy starts mumbling something about having the wrong apartment but I have my own door open so fast that I'm inside my place in a flash, locking the door behind me. I grab my cordless phone to call the police, 
but I hear Kevin through the door telling this guy he needs to leave. The guy does. Kevin knocks on my door and asks if I'm okay. I thank him and say that I am, but inside I am still frozen, adrenaline pumping, scared. I thank him again and tell him to have a good night and lock my door again. I have my phone in my hand, just ready to call the police, but I start trying to rationalize it again. What exactly happened? A guy followed me home, but then said he had the wrong apartment. Are the cops going to care about something minor like that? I try to calm myself down, but I'm also berating myself. Why didn't I run the instance I felt him following me? Why didn't I tell the people we passed when the front door opened that I thought I was being chased? Worse, why didn't I tell Kevin that the second he opened his door and saved me? He could have let me inside his apartment, and we could have called the cops together. But because of my stupidity, everything felt so ambiguous and I was questioning myself. A couple of weeks later, I'm visiting my grandparents and my grandfather was reading the paper. He tells me that a woman was attacked in the apartment building across the street from mine. It's the same guy. He had multiple convictions for sexual assault and had just recently been released on parole. I have lived a pretty mundane life with very little of the paranormal or supernatural in it. I've never even experienced sleep paralysis in my life. I'm 35 now. My father, on the other hand, is very prone to such things. So I will share some of his experiences as well. Also, I'd like to post a quick screw you to everyone who posts hoaxes exaggerations, or other embellishments to the sub. What little I do have to post may sound mundane, but at least it's 100% true. 1. The Giant Snail When I was about 5 years old, I was playing at my grandmother's house. The house would later become ours when my grandmother moved to a better location. One evening, around dusk, I go to go out on the porch and see the most ridiculous thing. A giant pink snail. Its shell was at least a foot high, and it was chugging along the porch like a regular snail. It was plain as day, and about ten feet from where I stood. It looked like something from that old Dr. Doolittle movie. I got extremely excited and stuck my head back inside to tell my grandmother what I saw. But to my disappointment, when I looked again, one second later, the snail had vanished. There were no signs of it. No snail trail or anything. It's possible that I hallucinated, but I've never hallucinated anything before or since as far as I'm aware. Number two, the dog driver. My father was an over-the-road truck driver. He drove an 18-wheeler all over the USA and parts of Canada. During the summers, I would go on the road with him. His truck had bunk beds. 
It was a rainy day in 1998 in Pennsylvania. I remember because advertisements for the movie Godzilla were everywhere. My father was in the back in the sleeper taking a nap, and I was up in the passenger seat playing my Game Boy and looking out the window. I was looking over at the truck parked next to us when I saw something that instantly made me sick to my stomach. It looked to be a human man with a dog or wolf snout. He had grayish normal hair on top, kind of spiked up with some wax or gel, but as my eyes went downward, I saw the snout. I freaked out and jumped back in the sleeper to wake my father up. When we looked again, there was no one up front in that truck, and the curtains were pulled on its sleeper. I had difficulty going into the truck stop we were parked at because I was afraid that I would encounter the dog driver. Later on, in life, I tried to rationalize it as me seeing a driver and his dog, and in the rain I somehow mistook them for one being, but that really is not what I saw. And I doubt that it would have made me sick to my stomach if that's all it was. 3. Dad's First UFO It was around 1975. My father and a friend were out walking in rural Alabama. They reached the top of the hill, and down in the valley below, they both see a stereotypical flying saucer, silver, hovering above the ground in the valley below. My dad's friend wanted to go check it out, but my father quipped that he wasn't ready to go to Mars, and insisted they get out of there, which they promptly did. Number 4. Dad's Second UFO in the early 90s, my dad was driving his 18-wheeler through Arkansas and saw another flying saucer come down from the sky, hit the ground, skid across a nearby field, and come to rest against a fence. My father gets on the CB radio and calls out to every other driver in the area and says, Hey, did anyone else see that flying saucer hit that fence? Another voice comes on and says, Yes. We'll take care of it. My father kept driving and didn't look into it any further. Number 5. Dad's Third UFO This third sighting happened, once again while driving his 18-wheeler through New Mexico. This one looked more like a ball of light. It shot out of the sky and hovered above his truck at equal speed to him for... some time before breaking off to the right and zipping out of sight. Number 6. My Only UFO I only have one UFO experience to speak of, and it's not much of one. My dad was mowing the yard at our home in Alabama. He calls me outside and says he wants to show me something, so I go out, and he tells me to look up. Far off in the distance, I see what appears to be a black cube, or something shaped like the sand crawler from Star Wars. It's very tiny since it's so far away. We stand there and watch it for around 20 minutes. It just floats in place. Occasionally, what appears to be vents on the right or left sides would open or close, appearing to help stabilize it as it floats. Eventually, we got bored of watching it and went inside. I didn't believe it to be a UFO at the time, 
and figured there must be some other explanation for it. In retrospect, I'm not sure what it could have been. It could have been a weather balloon, but I've googled pics of those, and this was different, because it was black and cubic in shape. I saw no round balloon shape holding it up there. And, number seven, Dad Meets Jesus. On another truck trip, around 2001 in upstate New York, my dad is driving through the woods at around 3 a.m. He gets out of the truck to relieve himself and notes that there is a dense fog all around the ground, and the clouds in the sky were unlike any he had seen before. They covered the sky like a dense, white carpet. He was creeped out by this, but exhausted, so he found a place to pull over for a nap. During the night, he wakes up to see someone sitting in the passenger seat of his truck. Assuming it's an intruder, he sits up and rears back his fist to punch them. The man leans forward and, in the light, appears to be Jesus. He extends his hand, and this causes my dad to lay back down onto the bed against his will. Then, this Jesus comes forward and touches this place on my dad's leg, which he'd had biopsied a week prior due to a cancer suspicion. That's all my dad remembers before waking up. He would later be diagnosed with stage 3 lymphoma, and survived it, in the lymph nodes of that same spot. This encounter is explainable as sleep paralysis, but one element that suggests otherwise is the fact that my dad claimed he could move around at first, balling up his fist and trying to punch the figure. It was only afterwards that he was forced to lay back down, then it becomes more like a typical account of sleep paralysis. I do not think, if it was an entity, that it was benevolent, or actually Jesus. After all, it's not like it healed his cancer by touching him, which you would expect. A few nights ago, I was out late at night with my family and some friends. It's really smoky out, and I looked up and noticed a relatively bright star in the sky, about like Vega in brightness. I'm into astronomy, so I looked at it for a while, trying to see if I could identify it with my star app on my cell phone. And that's when I noticed a couple of odd things. The star was moving. Not in a straight line like a satellite or airplane, it was staying in its same little patch of sky. But it was also moving in a random pattern, and at random speeds. Sometimes very slow. Sometimes it would stop. Sometimes it would shoot very fast. It wasn't wiggling a little bit, like atmospheric distortion. It was moving a significant distance. I pointed it out to the people I was with, and we all agreed that we saw it move. Also, it wasn't appearing on my star map. The other people I was with identified three additional lights doing the same thing. Also in the sky, there were normal stars that weren't moving and weren't as bright. 
after I watched for a good long time, I realized that they were also pulsing light seemingly at random. It would flash slightly and illuminate the clouds around it, so it was inside of the clouds. Sometimes only a quarter would flash, sometimes it would light up the clouds around it all the way around. I watched them for about an hour until it was time to leave, and then drove an hour away. They weren't in the sky at my house, only at the location where we originally saw them. This is the second time I've seen something like this, but this is the first time that I've had a whole crowd with me to acknowledge what I was seeing, and to watch it with me. So, I had something happen to me today while at the grocery store, but first, a little backstory on me so the situation will make more sense. I am middle-aged and was diagnosed with ADHD, spectrum of autism, anxiety, and mild depression. One of my biggest challenges in life is the ability to focus, obviously. I'm oblivious to minor things around me and never pay attention to those things. Just going to pick up a few things gives me massive anxiety, and I find that wearing my AirPods helps tremendously. Well, today I was on my way home to get ready for work, and I needed a few things from the store. My spouse has a standing rule that I text him before I go to see if he needs anything, so I did. He needed two fillets of salmon at two pounds each, and two cans of chickpeas the cheapest ones. So, I grab what I need first and make my way to pick up his stuff. I got to the salmon and headed to the canned aisle. As I'm walking down the aisle, I see an older gentleman walk towards me. I spent eight years in the army, so I did what came natural and stepped to the side with my back to the shelf. This is where it gets weird. As he walked by me, he raised his hand and pointed directly at the chickpeas, which just so happened to be the cheapest ones, on sale four for five dollars. This wasn't a hand wave made in jest, this was a direct and intentional point to the chickpeas. I stood frozen for about a minute trying to grasp what had just happened. I came very close to asking him why he pointed, but by the time I snapped out of it, he was gone. Now, there might be a reasonable explanation for this, and I kind of hope that there is. Why else would he point at exactly what I needed? I would have been there for a while trying to locate them. He literally saved me time out of the day at the expense of me saying in my head, what the hell just happened? And I'm still in disbelief. If anyone has a logical explanation, I'm all ears. It happened in my bedroom, at the age of ten. I always had trouble sleeping and spent most nights tossing and turning. I was a horror film fanatic as a child, and being scared was something I didn't have much experience with. I was not afraid of the dark, nor was I easily swayed by strange sounds or odd encounters. 
I did, however, know when to haul back end out of the situation, or to find a trusted adult. I always slept with my closet doors open, which will come to be some significance later in the story. I should also mention that my family home was in a heavily wooded area, in what some may refer to as the middle of nowhere. One night, around 1am, I awoke to a sound coming from underneath the bed. It sounded like one of my cats was scratching themselves with one of their feet, or doing something to cause a thumping beneath me. I'd heard this same sound many times before, and its source had always been one of my fuzzy friends. So, this time, I didn't look. I closed my eyes and tried to resume my slumber. I turned over onto my left side, which left me facing the wall which my bed was pressed up against. I heard the sound again, thinking that my kitty was directly beneath me. I said goodnight, and I was able to fall asleep once again. The next time I awoke, it was to a surreal and shocking scene. The sheet and comforter of my bed were no longer covering me. I saw a man standing over my bed and poking me. Just poking me with his finger. And the way in which he did so was truly horrifying. It was not the way that a child would poke at a friend in jest. It was as if he was touching another human being for the first time, exploring the sensation of the tip of his index finger jabbing at flesh. What I saw was so unbelievable, so impossibly strange, that I believed I was dreaming. I tried desperately to awake from my nightmare to no avail. The poking continued. He poked at my chest, my belly, my legs, my arms. Paralyzed and scared witless, I yelled, Wake up! And with this, the man threw himself to the floor and closed his eyes. It was as if he was trying to lead me to believe that he was asleep or dead. I have no freaking idea. It was at this time that I realized I could not have been dreaming. I somehow found the ability to move, and I jumped from the top of my bed over the man lying on the floor next to me, and ran towards my parents' room. When I got to their bedroom door, something came over me. I told myself that it was all impossible, that there was no way a person could have entered our home without breaking in, as we had always kept every door and window locked at night. I'd seen many strange things in my home whilst either falling asleep or waking up. By the third or fourth time, after speaking to my mom or dad about it, I knew that it was my mind playing tricks on me. Plush toys do not have the ability to turn and whisper into each other's ears. Do not ask why, dear reader, as I have no explanation to offer you, but I turned away from my parents' bedroom door and decided to hastily check the house for a break-in. What I found was that nothing was out of the ordinary. No broken windows or locks, no busted doors, nothing. I assured myself that I had to have been dreaming or hallucinating, and blamed my obsession with horror for this. I made my way down the long, dark, and narrow hallway to my bedroom. I peeked inside and saw no one. I turned on the light, got down on the floor just outside the doorway and looked under the bed. Nothing. 
I proceeded to check both of my windows for signs of a break-in, which were not present. Both windows were closed and locked. I knew it. I was totally seeing things. I crawled back into bed and decided to watch some TV in order to calm myself down and distract from thoughts of the scary-as-hell dream or hallucination I had just had. I turned on the TV, flipped to a channel with a seemingly boring program, and this always helped me become sleepy, and put the remote control on my bedside table. I was lying on my right side, facing away from the wall that I mentioned previously. As I laid there, my eyes began to adjust to the dark room with the faint light from the TV screen. Just beyond the TV, I saw something that made my heart sink into the pit of my stomach. Inside my closet, with one of the doors now slightly closed, I saw the man standing perfectly still, facing the wall, hiding. Waiting for me to fall asleep, I imagine. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. I sat and stared at the man in my closet for what seemed like minutes, but it was likely only a few seconds. I quietly got out of bed, hoping that the man wouldn't notice and that my dad could catch him hiding in the closet. I once again made my way to my parents' bedroom door, still remaining as quiet as I possibly could, and went inside. I shook my dad and my mom at the same time, and when they awoke, I said, Shh, don't make any sound. There's someone in my closet. My parents both jumped up and said, What? I repeated myself and asked them to please call 911. My mom immediately picked up the phone. Neither of my parents doubted my claim, as I had always been honest and forthright. They both knew that there was no way I was making this up, or that I was mistaken. I'm sure that the look I must have had on my face made it clear that this was really happening. My dad told my mom and I that he was going to look, and urged us to stay in their bedroom and lock the door. So, we did. At this point, I was beyond scared. I didn't know what the man was capable of, whether he had a weapon, or whether my dad was safe. I just stood in the room with my mom and cried. After what felt like hours, my dad knocked on the door and told me it was him, and that it was okay to open the door. My mom unlocked the door and let my dad inside. I said something to the effect of, Did you get him? And my dad looked at me with the most unsettling and confused look imaginable. He said, There's no one there. I assured him that there was indeed a man in my room, and that he'd been poking me. My dad said that he had just checked every inch of the house and found no one. He had also checked the doors and windows, just as I had done. Then, it hit me. He must have had a key. As soon as I said this, my parents looked at each other in absolute terror. Our nearest neighbor, a trusted and beloved friend whom we considered family, was in possession of a key to our house, as she had regularly babysat me since I was a toddler. She was the only person outside of my immediate family with the key to our home. Soon after this revelation, the police arrived, 
took statements, checked around our property, and left. None of us got any sleep that night. The next day, my dad went to the neighbor's house and asked if she knew where her key to our house was. She said yes, and when she went to show him, she saw that it was missing. Her home had no signs of a break-in, and she had always kept her doors and windows locked. My parents had all the locks on our doors changed, and opted to never again give a key to anyone, except in the wake of an emergency. I never discovered the identity of the man that lurked in my bedroom that night. The events left me traumatized, and it took a very long time for me to accept what had happened and moved on. My sleeping trouble turned into full-on insomnia, and for about a decade, I wasn't able to sleep without a light on. It's been 20 years since that night, and apart from my parents, I have never told a soul about it until now. I've actually found writing this to be very cathartic, and I'm glad that I stumbled across Let's Not Meet. My heart goes out to anyone who has suffered a trauma in their lives, and I hope that you are all able to find peace within yourselves. I live about 30 minutes from the beach, and decided to take a drive there nearing nighttime to help center myself. I've been in a bit of a bad place emotionally, and in general. In the past few months, a lot of big life changes have happened. My longtime partner and I very recently broke up, and this has been the hardest of all. This beach spot is a place that we spent a lot of time together, and with friends, and it felt like a safe space for me. Part of me sees us getting back together down the line, but no matter what I need to try to navigate this part of my life right now. Anyway, I just really connected with this location, and felt really peaceful, and happy, and hopeful towards the next chapter of my life, which is saying a lot, since I've been very depressed. It was around 5pm when I showed up, and as I made my way down the rather long beach path, I saw eight rabbits, at all distances, in different parts of the crossing sand roads. I counted because I was shocked to see any. For years, I've really connected with the symbol of the rabbit, and have on rare occasions had them cross my path when I needed them to. After spending a few hours on the beach, watching the sun go down and the moon shine, I wrote some intentions in the sand and let the ocean wipe them away. It was beautiful. As I walked down the long path again to head back to my car, I saw eight frogs, and then a shooting star. I'm just surprised. I've never seen more than three of these things at a time. I've always connected with frogs as well. I don't know what's up with these things, and the number eight specifically tonight, but I felt at peace. I wonder if any of you have any insights on such things. This happened a couple of years ago. I, 26, female, 
was walking my dog Indy in my local field. It was dark, but it wasn't late. It was wintertime in the UK, so it was maybe 6pm. The field is mainly used for rugby slash football, but is completely free to walk through whenever. It's also surrounded by houses and streetlights on the road, but the field itself is dark. So I'd brought a torch with me, mainly so I didn't trod into any dog waste. I've come in one entrance of the field and I'm following the path that leads to another exit entrance. I used the field to make a loop back around onto the road and back to my house, giving my dog some off-lead time whilst in the field. Anyway, as I'm walking up the field, I notice a figure walk in the exit entrance that I was going to use to leave. I keep my eye on this figure as they have very dark clothing on, and their hood up. I'm shining my torch as I'm walking, so I know the person knows that I'm there as it's very obvious. At first, I wasn't nervous, more so just being vigilant. Indy is a wonderful German Shepherd, so, as you can imagine, I feel pretty safe with her. It wasn't until I saw the person duck down behind a bush or tree. There's lots of new trees and bushes planted sporadically up the part of the field that isn't used for sports that I absolutely froze. I was about 200 feet from the exit, but would have to walk past the bush they hid behind to get to it. I call Indy over and get her back on the lead so she's close by. By this point, she's also hyper alert due to the person behind the bush. With that, I hear a weird, high-pitched voice that sounded like they were saying my dog's name. I assume they heard me call her, and they said it three to four times in this longed-out, high-pitched voice. It's clearly coming from the person hiding. Luckily, Indy wasn't reacting to it, as it probably barely sounded like her name to her. I had a moment of, shall I fight or flight? It was either I, one, run past the bush and try for the exit, two, turn around and run back into the dark field and make for the other exit, a lot further away, or three, confront this mofo. Indy at this point is hackles up, ears up, and very alert in front of me, whilst while still maintaining a wonderful sense of calm. I went with number three. I confronted that mofo. I mustered up every bit of courage and confidence I had, and shouted at the top of my voice, What the F are you doing? The hooded man came out from the bush very quickly without saying anything, and I said the same thing again. What the F are you doing trying to scare a young woman? I'm so glad that my voice didn't shake or break when I said it, as I was really terrified at this point. He started to stutter and said, Oh, um, I thought you were someone that I knew. I answered back and said, Who the F hides from someone they think they know in a dark field? After that, he apologized a couple of times and continued to skulk down the rest of the field as I made for a swift exit with Indy. God knows what his intentions were. Maybe he thought I had a smaller dog and was going to try to attack me, 
Maybe he saw Indy and realized no chance. Or maybe he really did think I was someone he knew. Whatever it was, it was weird and scary. We stayed at Lake George Battlefield Campground, and our last night camping was July 16th of this year, 2023. Right after midnight, my friends went to use the bathroom and left me alone by the fire when I heard a woman's voice singing in the woods. It was spooky, but also dreamlike. I describe it as singing because it sounded so practiced, but it was arpeggiated notes, no words. I would also describe it as sad and possibly ritualistic. Startled, I tried to record it because it was definitely audible. I figured if my own ears could pick it up, so could a mic. No chance. I responded with vocals of my own and then asked who was there. No response. My friends returned about ten minutes later and the singing stopped as I heard their footsteps approaching from the road. They told me it was bullfrogs. The pitch changes and lengths of the notes. There was no way it was a bullfrog or a forest animal. For reference, the campsite that we stayed was 200 foot south of the Isaac Jogues Monument. There's a nature trail about 400 foot west, down the hill from our site. In front of the nature trail is the Tiki Hotel. We can see those lights through the foliage. I'm really thinking it was someone practicing some Native American ritual. We've stayed at the same campsite every year for the past five, but this was our first time staying into Monday morning. Would anybody know what goes on out there on Sundays? Hi, I had an experience when I was a kid, nine or ten years old if I recall correctly, and I'm almost 31 now. I wanted to post this here in case someone has this too, or if there is an explanation out there. My life was pretty chill. I was a kid that didn't watch much TV since we didn't have one in our house. I used to play in the backyard with sticks or just visit the neighbors. One day, I remember that I woke up and my mother cooked a fish. I remember that she didn't like to do that because of the eyes of the fish were kind of disgusting, but my father insisted on eating it. I ate with my sister at a little table, and I don't remember what I did next, but that night I went to bed. I shared the room with my parents. I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't believe what my eyes saw. It was me, eating with my sister that same day but earlier, but I was seeing it from the perspective of my bed. It was so weird. My movements, they were all the same. I'm getting goosebumps just remembering the situation. I was seeing myself in movement but in the past, and it wasn't a dream. I got up and ran to my parents' bed and pulled the blankets over my head. 
I don't know if this is relevant, but after that, I used to dream while awake. I know the difference, and the first thing wasn't that kind of a dream. It was something else. I don't know what, but it was something. If you've had a similar experience, please make sure to let me know in the comments. I used to hang out with my cousin a lot. We were both 10 and male at the time of this encounter, and I'm now 33. It has stayed with me ever since. We would mostly spend our youth roaming the streets, not causing trouble, but kicking footballs around fields, climbing, hanging out with kids our age, the typical stuff before iPads and Netflix became commonplace. One day, we decided to go and explore a part of the town that we had never explored before. It meant going through alleys and back streets. The trail would actually end approximately two to three minutes from my house, which was a safe part of the neighborhood. It was a sunny day, albeit not too warm, and my cousin and I had been walking for what seemed like miles. The journey we'd planned was supposed to go on for longer, but... We'd gotten bored and decided to take a detour home. The detour involved cutting through an alleyway that looked a little bit like the Coronation Street Gentle, if anyone is familiar with the TV show. To the left of us were terraced houses, and to the right of us were steel fences with sharp points to deter any would-be thieves. We continued up here, and soon enough, one of the kids from our school lived there, and his mom shouted, What are you boys doing here? We ran, and I don't know why. We just didn't like her son, and her tone was accusatory. As we ran, we bumped into another kid. Don't go that way, he said, as his voice trailed off as he ran further and farther away from us, down the opposite end of the alleyway. We shrugged and continued on. It got darker with the trees and the foliage, but we soon emerged from the alley, and that's when we saw the lone boy. A boy aged 10 to 12 just stood there. His eyes were empty. He had a vacant look on his face. Well, the half of his face that we could see well enough. Above his mouth was covered with a veil, somewhat like a Halloween mask of some description, Except it was June. Halloween was still months away. As we got closer, we noticed the boy had a kitchen knife in his hands. I mean a fully, real, stainless steel kitchen knife. Both hands on the handle. The sunlight made the blade glisten. We cracked a joke like, Are you cooking outside? But he looked at us blankly. No emotion. Nothing. We were too freaked out to move, and that's when we realized that he hadn't moved either. Not a muscle. We saw him blink, but physically the knife hadn't been raised up or pointed at us, just held closely to his chest, blade pointing upwards. We figured that we should get away because instinct told us that this was weird and a bit freaky. Going back down the alley didn't seem like a safe option, 
Being stuck in an alleyway with a strange kid with a knife didn't seem smart. In front of us was a road on a steep hill. It was our best bet. We walked up to the top of the hill, just keeping an eye on the kid. The top of the hill was two to three minutes from my house in terms of distance. At last, we felt safe. As we looked back down the hill, the lone kid had put the knife by his leg, now holding it in one hand, but remained in the exact same spot and stared right back at us, expressionless. We told our parents what had happened and they called a local community enforcement team to scout the area. Apparently, the kid was found with the knife, but we never heard why he was there or what he was doing. 23 years after this all happened, and it is still on my mind. This poster left two stories. Story one. I'm a Titanic enthusiast. If there are any exhibitions on, I will go and view what's on show. When I went and watched the film, more than once, I came out so angry at what allegedly happened. To this day, I think I was on that ship in a past life. Before I go on, condolences to the families of the people lost in that mini-sub-accident. There, for the grace of God, go, because if I won a lot of money, I would spend it to go to see that wreck. Anyways, a few years ago, whilst in Las Vegas, the exhibition with The Big Piece was on at the Luxor. So, off I went. I got my ticket, and in I went. Now, I'm used to air-conditioned buildings, but the second I walked in, it just gave me the creeps. The longer I stayed, the worse it got. I was really glad to get back outside just to get the chill out of my bones. Story 2 I had cause a few years ago to go to Los Angeles. A couple of times on my trip, I went to Long Beach and did the Queen Mary tours. Well worth the money. Upon finishing both the normal and ghost tours, I wandered out onto the deck. The second I was there, it felt like someone was standing right behind me. I glanced back, but of course there was no one there. The feeling got worse and worse, so much so that I nearly ran off the ship. So, once upon a time ago, when I had just turned 18, I decided I wanted to try out exotic dancing. All I had to do to get started was get a pair of heels. The only place to get the heels was two hours away by car. Me and my friend, who was 17 at the time, drove the two hours to get some heels. We went to five different stores and we couldn't find the ones that I wanted, so we decided to stop at Wingstop to get dinner, then go back to the first store we stopped at and just get the heels they had there. We walked into the Wingstop, and this dude at the front counter started telling us his life story, not leaving anything out, which was a little off-putting. Then he asked where we were from, and we told him the county instead of telling him the exact town. 
He then proceeded to ask why we were so far from where we live, and my friend answered with, well, she's a stripper, and she's looking for heels, to which I elbowed her in the chest for exposing me. The dude proceeded to give us our food for free, and then called his mom to see if she had any heels. He then asked if we wanted to ride with him. We both said no, but he insisted, and I had just smoked some with my friend before going into Wingstops, so I wasn't thinking. I thought my friend was coming with us, but we pulled out of the parking lot without her, which petrified me. Especially when I realized I left my phone in my friend's car. I sat in that car as far away from him as possible. He pulled into an apartment complex and went inside. He came back out about 30 minutes later with a box of shoes. On our way back, he proceeds to ask me if he could hire me for private dances. He asked what club I was going to work at, and I lied and told him the wrong club. When we got back to my friend's car, he asked for my number. I was going to give him the wrong number, but he said he was going to call it to make sure it was the right number, so I gave him my number. Then he got in the back seat of my friend's car and tried to smoke with us. He had his own, but I wasn't about to smoke someone else's when he was being that sketchy. So I texted my cousin and told him to call me and tell me that my grandma was dying in the hospital. I'm not proud. The dude got out of the car and went back to work, and my friend pulled out of the parking lot, and we parked somewhere else so that we could eat our food. Also, on our way home that night, we almost got into a head-on collision, but we survived. Hey there, friends. I hope that you enjoyed this collection of scary stories on this episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. If you did, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform that you're utilizing. And if the platform you are on has a rate the podcast option, please consider doing so. Those ratings push the podcast into the algorithm and we all know how the algorithm controls everything, so... Yeah. I also do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash asthereavendreams, you can support the channel further. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to all of my content in audio format. The content's a little different, as it's based on what I upload to my YouTube side, but it's the same stories. Just in different collections of stories than how they're presented here. Speaking of stories... If you have one you would like to submit to me, please go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button in the middle of the screen that says Submit Your Story. Now, these stories are mostly sourced by listeners, so let's keep the podcast alive. If you've got one, I'd love to read it. Anyways, friends, I hope you're all having a beautiful day and a lovely week, and I hope I see you again very soon. But until then, remember you're loved, you're valid, you're important. You're the best you that you can be. Never forget it. And until next time, much love and sleep well. <laughs>